it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. In about 15 minutes, we'll make sense of the economy with a former chairman of Ways and Means, Yalco, and congressman from Texas, Kevin Brady. Bottom of the hour, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West on the breakdown of our border and the plethora of Republican candidates out there. The President of the United States... Well, he's taking his hands off the wheel. He's going to Martha's Vineyard or somewhere rich to sponge off someone, one of his donors. I'm really not sure why Republican or presidents do that. Uh, President Trump never did, obviously. Uh, President Bush didn't. But uh, President Obama always loves staying with people and, and President Biden, too. I mean, why would you want to stay with somebody? Would you owe you know, him a huge favor. Don't you have enough money? Um, so we have a lot to discuss today, and uh, there's a lot going on, including some surprising developments and some not so surprising. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. This team is going to be in the underdog role, a, 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 a role that they love. And it's very, very comfortable. Over decades, we've been very, very comfortable. So they, they have nothing to lose. And I think, I think they will rise to the occasion. So the glass is half full. There you go. World Cup, the subplots, the terror plots, the protests, and heartbreaking tie. Not so much heartbreaking, but I guess a challenging tie. I'll bring you the latest. Number two. More of the country is more like Florida than, you know, we may want to believe. But majority of America is more, you know, rural and, you know, full of conservative values. Charlemagne the God lining up. That's what our candidates are doing right now, running against President Trump for the GOP nomination and adding up. That's what the Republicans are doing as they add another seat to the majority in the House. With more to come, I believe, will it all equal an agenda all Americans can rally behind? Let's hope. Number one. We commissioned an independent forensic review to determine its authenticity. Just the sheer volume of what we're dealing with, it would be difficult, uh, if not impossible, to fabricate. No kidding. Breaking news, sarcastically. Hunter Biden's laptop is real and the emails and photos are authentic. This is according to CBS. Over two and a half years since it was first made public, CBS pretends as if they verified it. Joe's crackhead son was leading a family business of influence peddling, with Joe very much involved. Why does CBS come forward now? I have a theory, and the theory is... The House is going to get to the bottom of it. And I also believe the Democrats don't mind if Joe gets exposed. Joe gets exposed after the midterm elections where he can't do any more damage. And at 80, we know he's lost his fastball. We know he lost his fastball really as he became vice president under Barack Obama. And they really salted him away over the last four years and didn't really let him do much publicly. But the thing that's such a joke is that CBS wants to think that their news division could not authenticate a laptop that Hunter Biden dropped off at an independent uh, computer repair place 
that was easily obtainable. There were so many copies out there. Could have went up to Rudy Giuliani, could have looked up into the FBI and say, hey, I need freedom of information. I need to see uh, who was on the other end of those emails, what exactly they said, if those pictures were in fact real. And if you did not have a computer expert at your beck and call and maybe geek squad that would come over. How about this? You call somebody on that email chain and say, hey, is this you? Did Hunter Biden write you when you give this email to the president of the United States? Is this your actual email, Mr. President of what Mr. Vice President at the time, Mr. Senator from Delaware? Is this your email to and from your son? Is that real? Hey, Hunter, is that your picture? Yeah, it's your picture. When he did a book tour on his past and talked about his future and then when asked about his laptop, he says, I don't really know. And that was all. I mean, think about this. Think how guilty he looks. There were details of international business deals with 50 separate countries, including China and Ukraine, two more controversial countries not existing on the planet. Moscow's mayor still out there, Kazakhstan and others. He's flying into Mexico, meeting with these Mexican officials and his son's behest. And nobody wants to follow up. So listen to CBS pretending as if they're confirming something that Miranda Devine wrote a book about. Cut one. We commissioned an independent forensic review to determine its authenticity. Just the sheer (laughs) volume of what we're dealing with, it would be difficult, uh, if not impossible, to fabricate. Unbelievable. CBS. Isn't that where 60 Minutes? Yeah, I believe 60 Minutes is aired on CBS. And I believe that Leslie Stahl sat down with the then president of the United States to talk about the final weeks of the election, at which time this laptop was out there exposing Joe's corruption. And listen to the exchange. Now, this was the reason why the audio is not great is because the president insisted on rolling on these interviews because he knew that 60 Minutes would selectively edit them up. Cut to. I think it's one of the biggest scandals I've ever seen, and you don't cover it. Biggest you want to talk about... Well, because it can't be verified. You want to talk I'm about insignificant you. things. I'm telling you... Of course it can be verified. Excuse we, me. We they found the laptop. Leslie, Leslie. can't be verified. And here's... Can't be verified. It, all you had to do was try. Leslie Stahl, the best and most feared investigative unit in the country, can't verify. Suddenly you can't verify anything? Mike Wallace is rolling around in his grave with uh, Andy Rooney and Morley Safer. Ed Bradley, I can't verify it, can't verify it. I tried. Okay, that's right. I remember what. I forgot to try. John Paul Mac uh, Isaac. This is this guy's name. He actually had the laptop, got it from a, a drug-hazed Hunter Biden. He didn't come back and pay his $85 bill, so it be, immediately becomes his property. He sees what's on it. He alerts the FBI. Cut three. I have been doing everything I can and working uh, with my legal team and uh, Congress, members of Congress, which I'm delighted to say all of them that I've been working with got reelected. So uh, to make sure that they have genuine, clean and pure copies of the laptop. Also, every interaction I had with the FBI, I've sent over to Congress. Uh, There's two fronts that I see. I see holding the FBI accountable for colluding with our mainstream and social media to block a story, a real story with real consequences. And also, 
get to the bottom of what the Biden family was up to when uh, Joe Biden was vice president. And I, I think that uh, we have the people in Congress now. They have the resources and the tools. And I'm hoping that uh, we're going to get some accountability. So now CBS could say, yeah, it's real. Yeah, it's too bad. I mean, I, this is what I think. I think they're going to let him go. I think they're going to let this thing uh, – um, they're going to let all, all, all this investigation be uncovered. And I think it's going to link right back to Joe. And I think they're going to see that he lied flat out to Peter Ducey and everybody else when he said I had nothing to do with my business dealings. They got him on voicemail talking about how they're out of the woods because the Washington Post is not going to expose the story. So it shows he knows. And number two, it shows that he was meeting with people right after they had meetings with other countries, flew down to Mexico and meet with Mexican officials, was into Ukraine when the Burisma placed his son on the board. And he was in charge of the Ukrainian effort to give them MREs and blankets when they really need weapons to protect themselves against a Russian invasion. Do you see what's going on here? Do you see how insulting this is to all of us? Even if you didn't vote for President Trump and you're a never-Trumper, has nothing to do with the authenticity here. You might look at this and say, I still don't think it's a big deal. I think it's a big deal. Well, he was ex-vice president of the United States. Well, that's different from I had nothing to do with my son's business dealings, trading on his name, knowing that he could be a presidential candidate again. Here's Jonathan Turley, cut five. What's really disturbing about the Hunter Biden matter is that this was similar to what we saw with uh, when Houdini made his elephant Jenny disappear every night on the stage. Well, she really didn't disappear. She never lost, left the stage. But Houdini knew that the audience wanted her to disappear. And the Bidens have been brilliant in, the, in handling this scandal. They knew the media wanted this scandal to disappear. And they gave them room for that illusion. Now they're running out of, of time and they're running out of space because the House is going to launch this investigation. And I think that what we're going to see is going to be disturbing. That wasn't me shuffling the papers. Um, that was for, with Sean Hannity last night. So it is disturbing. They can't stop it. The New York Times and Washington Post agreed with it. I don't want to take too much time away from Kevin Brady. I'll ask him this to lead, and then we'll talk about the economy, inflation, how, why the president didn't uh, suffer a red wave, and why Senator Kelly would get reelected in Arizona with the border crashing. I know mostly in Texas, but absolutely crashing open. In Arizona, it doesn't seem like the American people care. And Lieutenant Colonel Alan West on the Texas version, as well as our new woke military. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back. We're waking up, well, uh, waiting on Kevin Brady. 
what would the Republicans do to, to now that they have the House and a slight majority? It's going to be almost the exact majority that Nancy Pelosi had. And she was able to keep them together for the most part, even though that she had a left wing. The president, uh, this, uh, the Republican caucus will have a right wing, and that's the Freedom Caucus. But Jim Jordan is for Kevin McCarthy. So there's about three holdouts. So I can't see that being a major issue. But in terms of the economy, what can you do? Do you know what the president of the United States just actually pledged to in Egypt? I think to, we're going to be writing checks to developing countries almost as reparations for, they say, polluting the environment. Are you crazy? We're polluting the environment when India and China, even on the hook, haven't pledged a dollar and they're listed as developing nations. So technically, we're going to be pledging money to them. Are you crazy? Here's Bjorn Lomborg. He joined me uh, on Fox and Friends on Monday on this very prospect. Cut 24. I think a lot of countries around the world are going to find it very hard to come up with trillions of dollars. It's just not going to happen. But secondly, also, remember, why are countries like Pakistan very vulnerable to floods? It's because they're poor. And so, again, we seem to say, oh, we should just make hands out instead of making sure that these countries get out of poverty so they stop being vulnerable so that they can actually deal with many other problems apart from climate change, but also climate change. This really is a bad solution, which is probably not backed up by most Western uh, democracies because most people are not willing to pay trillions of dollars every year to poor countries. Gerard Baker wrote a great column on this, did some research, and he said there have been less deaths over the last 100 years due to any type of weather-related incident than ever before. We're more industrialized than ever. It's not settled science. And to sit there and write checks to other countries, well, we have no idea what they're going to do with it. But if they're a developing country, more than likely they're not going to be responsible with it is a joke. And why we pledge to do it, and it's got to be stopped by this Republican Congress, House, I should say. Here's Victor Davis Hanson last night with Tucker. Cut 21. Forty percent of the people in the world live in India and China, and they're full bore on coal and natural gas, and they're not going to switch. So this is just a virtue signal that's empty. And we should remember, Tucker, that we have $50 billion leaving this country in foreign aid every year. We have almost 50 million people living here that weren't born in the United States. They send out $60 billion in remittances. We don't even tax it. It's the most generous uh, policy in the world. And it's all based on this idea that the Industrial Revolution of 200 years makes us guilty for carbon, when in fact it was the greatest boon that humans have ever experienced. It gave the third world, or the non-West, the green agricultural revolution, pharmaceuticals, high-tech, cars, and made life affluent and leisured to a, a degree never imagined, with no research and development in these developments. It was just wholesale, jump-started into the 21st century, based on fossil fuels. Incredible. Uh, negotiators from nearly 200 countries agreed for the first time to establish this fund to help the poor because we made them poor. That's the theory. The deal calls for committees with representatives from 24 countries to work over the next year to figure out exactly what form of the fund should take, which countries should contribute it, and where the money should go. The summit was nearing an end. The EU consented to the idea of a loss and damage fund, though it insisted that any aid would be focused on most vulnerable nations. And that aid must include a wide variety of options, such as new insurance programs in addition to direct payments. Meanwhile, the United Nations is trying to classify China, uh, unclassify China as a developing nation. They know they're not. They know they're the second biggest economy. Uh, This would make it if they don't change their status, they'd be eligible for climate compensation. 
Can you imagine? Bad enough they were paying them to make our solar panels. They're using fossil fuels to make them. Bad enough they would have to use the rare, buy rare earth from them to make the batteries because we want to burn clean while they strip the land and actually hurt the environment to the point where we wouldn't even dig for our own lithium and cobalt ourselves. So now we have to write them a check? Insanity. We have to be able to stop that. I would hope we'd be able to stop that. Here's more from Bjorn Lumberg on that. Cut 22. A lot of countries asking for a lot of money. So there's been mentioned one, two, several trillion dollars per year. Now, remember, we haven't been able to come up with $100 billion yet, uh, so that's very unlikely to happen. New York Times even said, you know, there's no guarantee that wealthy countries are actually going to pay up. So I think, first of all, let's just remember this is a promise that probably can't be delivered. But I think it's also worth taking a step back and realizing we have been trying to solve global warming for at least 30 years now, and we have failed. And now what's happened is we've shifted away from trying to solve the problem to just simply asking for money. That's not going to work well. And I don't want to hear it. I'm not going to do it. Forget it. You have 22% of all our energy is from coal. Now they want to make it less. You've got to come up with something else less that's not going to be counterproductive. Number two, gas and uh, oil and gas, we burn cleaner than anybody else. We are putting out a million, do- a million barrels less a day. And whatever we're paying would be less than we're feeling right now. Out in California, they were telling me that it's over $5, mostly $6 a gallon with all the fees and all the, uh, the fines that are they're layered into this. They're not allowed to buy, make new gas stations or they're going to be, in a short time, be able to sell combustion engine cars, which makes you think, let's just go somewhere else. Go to Arizona. Go to New York, or maybe not New York. Go to Florida. Go to North Carolina, South Carolina. Go to Tennessee and get your gas car, and then you drive it back over. So just in case you think climate change settled science, just know there was a, a short time ago. It was just 23 years ago. When I was growing up, you heard about the coming ice age. One proof? This is a circling all around Twitter. Leonard Nimoy, at the time one of the biggest stars in the country, since passed away, from Star Trek, doing a... Get out, uh, begin to panic, world. The Ice Age is here. Listen. If we are unprepared for the next advance, the result could be hunger and death on a scale unprecedented in all of history. What scientists are telling us now is that the threat of an Ice Age is not as remote as they once thought. During the lifetime of our grandchildren, Arctic cold and perpetual snow could turn most of the inhabitable portions of our planet into a polar desert. Right. A polar desert. We're all going to freeze to death. And 10 years later, we began to realize we're all going to burn up in global warming. We're all going to sweat to death. Every place will be like Hawaii. Terrible. I mean, beautiful. No, there'll be no more winter. And then they said, wait a second. It's really getting cold still. So let's change it to climate change. And let's have Greta Thunberg scream at adults and say, how dare you? about where the earth is going to heat up and uh, it's going to get way too cold and way too hot altogether. So Al Gore's got to get more money and John Kerry's got to fly around in more private flights until the world is healed. Please don't tell me you're writing checks on this, buying into this. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Republicans are 
spend as much time fighting each other as we did the Democrats. It is time to quit eating our own. The truth is, Americans weren't trusting the state of our party. They don't want chaos. They want strength and stability and unity. We didn't have that. We have to look in the mirror. The Republican Party has lost the popular vote in the last seven out of eight presidential elections. That's saying something. We're behind the times, and we have to be honest with ourselves. Joe Biden turns 80 years old tomorrow. Happy birthday, Mr. President, but it's time for a younger generation to lead across the board. No one doubts that. Uh, the question is, will the former U.N. ambassador, uh, U.S. ambassador to the United Nations and governor of South Carolina be one of them? It looks like the answer is yes. When you talk about new generation chaos, that's code for no Trump. How does Lieutenant Colonel Alan West feel about that? Because what she said is correct. They, they have lost the popular vote of Republicans. And if you just pick people popular with Republicans, you will not win the general. Colonel Alan West, welcome back. What do you think about what, what uh, Nikki Haley said? Well, it's good to be with you, Brian, and happy Thanksgiving to you and the listening audience. And uh, the former governor and ambassador is spot on. Uh, we have to have a new generation. We cannot continue on with the the path that we have been upon. And if you look and see what's happening with the Democrats, even they are selecting Hakeem Jeffries to be their new minority leader, which means that he's going to be the Democrat leader in the House uh, eventually. I'm sure they have to move beyond uh, Chuck Schumer, but we have to have those new leaders. And I got to tell you, when you look at former governors, those are the, an incredible uh, harvest that we have out there that we can select from going forward. Uh, so you saw that. So so the, because President Trump is in, it looks like Mike Pompeo uh, looks like Governor DeSantis. It looks like uh, Nikki Haley. It looks like Vice President Pence are going to be in the fray. Is that healthy for the party? Well, I think it's healthy for anyone to have selections and choices and based upon the various backgrounds. I mean, you've got former governors, you've got a former vice president, you've got a former president, you've got a former uh, secretary of state and CIA director. So you have a really good uh, cornucopia, if I can put that way, of talent that you can select from. But I think that right now we want to have a younger generation. I think we want to have strong ideas, constitutional conservative principles and values. And again, the restoration of those American first principles and values. But, you know, I always tell people there are two phases to a candidate. There's an image phase and there's a message phase. And without a doubt, the conservative message far outpasses and surpasses the progressive socialist left message. I mean, all you have to do is look at the issues, but it comes back to the image that is delivering that message. And I think that's where we need to make the right choice. Could you ever get behind someone who wasn't as conservative as you? You know, it's not about being as conservative as me. I just want to see someone that adheres to the rule of law. And if you adhere to the rule of law, that means you're a conservative person, the Constitution. And really, if you go back, and I'm going to geek out a little bit, but if you study the classical liberalism of John Locke, that's really what conservatism is. Conservatism is about understanding that the individual, their rights, their freedoms, and their liberties, they are preeminent and they're sovereign over the institution of government. So that's what I'm looking for people to do is is to make sure we're economically empowering individuals, not economically enslaving them, that we focus on the individual and not the collective, and that we're making sure that we are instituting policies to create victors and not victims. So I want you to hear what Charlemagne the God told Fox Digital about the, uh, you know, obviously he's a Democrat, cut 12. 
It's sad that we're saying, you know, it's still a toss-up between him and uh, President Biden. I, I think that's more in, indicative of what, you know, Democrats aren't doing. And, and for me, I just don't I, don't, I don't see the bench that the Democrats have. Like, I don't, I personally don't see the, per, the person that they could put up in 2024 that could, like, really galvanize and, and energize people. I mean, the fact that Biden is still their safest bet, I, ugh, I think that's sad, too. So he sees nothing on the Democratic side. I don't see any bench on that side. I guess Pete Buttigieg. My sense is this. The reason why this laptop's out and CBS is going to suddenly authenticate it, mm-hmm. the laptop from hell, uh, and we're gonna, it's going to prove that Joe Biden was involved in all of Hunter Biden's business deals with 50 separate nations, including Ukraine and China. I think they're gonna, the Democrats are going to let him burn and oh, so to get are. him out because the midterms are done. So let 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 him to uh, let the truth lie. Uh, let let the, let everybody have at it. Yeah, you you are spot on. Joe Biden has fulfilled his uh, his usefulness. Uh, he he was able to be hidden in the basement, and of course he won the election against Donald Trump, and then he limped across the finish line in these midterm elections. But they know that this is not a winning formula for them going ahead. And uh, you know, Charlemagne is is absolutely right. They don't have a bench. I mean, you want to put up Gavin Newsom? Give me a break. You want the rest of the country to look like California? You want to put up uh, Pritzker out of Illinois uh, or, you know, Whitmer out of Michigan? You got to be uh, delusional and deranged. So they are in a real uh, crux of a position, and therefore you cannot have uh, Kamala Harris. I mean, her approval rating is even worse. So it was pretty interesting that Robin Roberts is there interviewing Michelle Obama because I think if there's a Hail Mary out there, that's who they may try to go back to. Right, but she has absolutely no political experience. Is angry no, all the time. It do, but it doesn't matter. But it doesn't matter to them. Remember what I said: it's image and message. They they could care less about the message. It's all about the image. And so, what can Michelle Obama do? Michelle Obama will help them with the, the black community, which. They have absolutely destroyed with their policies, but if they can have this, you know, Michelle Obama in the White House, they think that that will rally the black community. Uh, and, and then, of course, the, the young progressive uh, left. But they don't have a bench. They don't have anyone that can go up with the right type of policies to get America's energy, economic uh, national, uh, foreign policy, security, and also border security back on the right track. Yeah, I guess so. I guess if that is indeed uh, indeed the case. So this whole glo- uh, global warming thing, you think you're at, at the House would be able to – you remember the House before, Colonel. You think the House would be able to stop a check being written to the world community because of reparations, because of damage we've done to the economy? Excuse yeah, me, to the climate? Yeah, this is absolutely crazy. I mean, first of all, they're talking about reparations here in America. Now they're talking about reparations across the whole uh, world. This is nothing but a a global wealth redistribution scheme. And you're right. You can't, as the president of the United States of America, you do not have the constitutional authority to just say, I'm going to send billions of taxpayer dollars to, to other countries. That has to go through the House of Representatives who have the constitutional enumerated power to deal with matters of the purse string. Uh, and so I, I, that's why it's a good thing that Republicans, even though it's a very slim margin, they have the majority in the House so that they can break, uh, block a lot of this excessive spending and this uh, Green New Deal agenda. So I guess uh, we'll see what happens. Right now, what's going to change at the border? I understand that th- at a cost of $300,000, you have these uh, armored vehicles that are going to be patrolling, be able to go through all-terrain vehicles going through the border in Texas that was just purchased by the governor. 
I understand that they're going to, you guys are going to start building your own wall again. El Paso's being overrun at a dizzying rate. And now mm-hmm. with goodbye to Title 42, expect 18,000 illegals a day. What's going to be the, the state response, or what should it be? Well, the state response has to be with the abdication of their constitutional duty from the federal government under Article 4, Section 4, is the state does what the federal government won't do, which means that they create a border control zone and the state becomes the one that are, you know, turning people back at the, uh, at the border and not allowing them to come into the state of Texas and into the United States of America. And I'm sure you're going to get all these challenges from, you know, respective uh, organizations on the left, but the bottom line is that is written in the Constitution. That's our rule of law. That's what we have to buy to. And I think, again, we need to stress the issue that when you look at these past two years, Joe Biden has done more to undermine the sovereignty of the United States of America and uh, ensure that Americans are losing their lives. We are in a chemical war with China. The fentanyl is a chemical. It is not just a drug, and it's being manufactured and refined by the cartels, bringing it across, and over 100,000 Americans have lost their lives in the uh, the past two years. That is more than the losses we had in Korea and Vietnam combined. So, so we have got to do something at the state level. All right, lastly, I saw Senator Rubio and uh, and some others leading a charge to unwoke the military who are now mm-hmm. going to, on top of all this, kick out thousands because they don't want to get vaccinated, even though the pandemic's over and Title 42 is lifted. What are your what's your reaction? Yeah, I mean, think about it. The the president said on, I think it was 60 minutes, the pandemic is over. So why are we still putting people out of the military? And we know that this shot does not curtail the virus or stop it whatsoever. So what's the purpose of it? So, again, this president is doing something unconstitutional and borderline treasonous by undermining our national security by way of degrading the capability and capacity of our military. So when you have the power of the purse strings, again, in the House, and I sat on the House Armed Services Committee, there should be some real tough hearings coming up with the Secretary of Defense and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs and all the service chiefs to say, why do you need to put people out of the military for something that does not work? All right, and Especially when we can't make our recruiting goals. Uh, it's, it's such a joke, but there's some reason I think they're relishing it. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Happy Thanksgiving, Brian. I'll see you, uh, see you pretty soon December. Yeah, we'll see you December uh, December 3rd. We'll see you December That's 3rd right. in Jacksonville. Uh, Operation so, New Uniform. Yep, and uh, just go to BrianKillMe.com if you want to uh, see, see if there are any tickets available. Uh, Colonel, thank you. I'll be emceeing, and the Colonel will be the, uh, uh, be the featured speaker. Thanks, Colonel. Thank you, brother. Bye-bye. Right, when we come back, uh, we are going to be taking your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, just a quick thing. Uh, uh, Alan West will be the headline speaker. It's the Ninth Annual Heroes Gala, uh, supporting the work of Jacksonville-based Operation New Uniform. Uh, so as I mentioned, it's December 3rd at the Sawgrass Marriott Golf Resort and Spa in Ponte Vedra Beach. So if you want to get tickets, uh, you can get them right from my website or go, go click on Sawgrass or Operation New Uniform, O-N-U. Don't move. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to, to your, your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Look out here. Shot taken. Go! 
Aldesade just takes it through two defenders. It's poor defending from Argentina, but look at this. Gets a little bit of a space and then just drives this one to the far post. No chance for Martinez. And what a strike. Just the fingertips, but not enough. And Saudi Arabia go up two to one within this match. And it is Bedlam after this goal. So that is it. Saudi Arabia in Qatar has beaten Argentina, the number three ranked team in the world, hasn't lost in 36 straight matches in World Cup play. They are calling it statistically the biggest upset in World Cup history. It happened hours ago. And Saudi Arabia, who tied the U.S. 0-0, and they said, wow, the U.S., what's wrong with them? Oh, how could they tie in their final friendly, Saudi Arabia? Now you know. I mean, they're real good. And they came back to uh, they came back from one nothing down to do it, and that's with Messi up front. So that's what uh, Fox Sports need. You need to be upset. You need to know that anything could happen. And England, who beat uh, Iran six to two, and then the U.S. went out in the same group and tied Wales zero zero. Quick thing before uh, we talk about the U.S. game, um, it was one one I should say. Before we talk about the U.S. game, uh, just talk about how this is a world event. So you know what's happening with the unrest in Iran. We haven't talked much about that, not enough. But this stuff is real. The protests are happening. I can't control. The government said stop it. They won't. Why? Because the 22-year-old was killed. She was taken into custody for not wearing her, not covering her hair sufficiently. Next thing you know, she's dead. Spontaneous protests erupt around Iran, a very well-educated country who's being repressed by a terrible uh, group of ayatollahs and mullahs. Uh, in Iran, so the right, so the protests don't stop. So when the national anthem is played, Iran does not sing along. Now, one thing about unlike most you see with the Olympics, that's what they do with the World Cup. They will sing with their national anthem. They don't. And there's protests in the stands. And at the 22 minute mark, uh, there were protests because she was 22 when she was killed. And they are essentially. They could be signing a death sentence, all these Iranian soccer players. So they go out and uh, lose 6-2. to two. The U.S. will play them third. Of course, when they, if they lose to America, they'll probably all be killed. I hope I'm lying, but I would not be surprised. But the, neg- the game against Wales really hurts. Why? Wales has got international players. I get it. And they have much more experience. I understand it. But they also have not been to the World Cup since the 1950s. And this is uh, the U.S., Actually opens up score. George Weah's son is ends up George Weah with a two-time footballer of the year. Ends up uh, his wife lived in Queens, so they moved to Queens. His son's born here, and his son ends up being a star and scoring the first goal for the U.S. Do we have that, Eric? Musa, Sergeant Pulisic on the run. Pulisic has Weah. Pulisic rolls it in. Tim Weah. Goal, and they were up one nothing, and they were outplaying them. But later, a little bit later on. They'd got the uh, Wales would get uh, the equalizer when one of their best players took down uh, a fellow uh, MLSer in the uh, penalty box. The penalty kick would be converted, so the game would end up one-one. So listen, that's the way it went, but it doesn't mean it's over. Alexi Lalas talked about what this means for the U.S. as they now will face England, and which would be a much tie game, perhaps for the U.S. Cut thirty-three. This team is going to be in the underdog role, a a role that they love and is very, very comfortable. Over decades, we've been very, very comfortable. So they they have nothing to lose. And I think I think they will rise to the occasion. So the glass is half full. Yeah, 
they're used to it. Alexi Lalas knows also they lost to Iran when he was playing. And he knows what it's like to go in there and get to the knockout round and get eliminated in the quarterfinals. They know what it's like to get eliminated in, this, in the group play. And they know what it's like to get through in one play. So we'll see if the U.S. can do it. Now, listen, it's not the death. If you get up one point, they say statistically, you have a 58% chance, that's one point you get for a tie, of getting through. I think it's so important. I think the country could use a break. I think us playing against England is great. And the big news is I bet Pierce Morgan $5,000. I said 1000 He said five that the U.S. will tie or beat England, and he says, no problem. I'm giving my money that I get from Pierce Morgan to charity. I think he is too, although he didn't commit to that. He interviewed Cristiano Ronaldo, the most famous player in the world, but certainly the best build outside me. Now that I'm not playing, I'm no longer uh, competitive with him uh, with the best body. So he was uh, benched by Manchester United, decides to call up Pierce Morgan and say, let's do an interview. They talk for 90 minutes. It makes huge news. He basically gets cut from Manchester United, but wanted all around the world. He might end up in the U.S. Messi might end up in the U.S. with AMLS. So you talk about emerging sports that people care about. It's a league that's coming up quick, that's expanding with about two franchises every two years, and now could add two of the best players in the world in a single season. So I think that's uh, important. And I think it's great that Fox has the rights to it. So Friday will be the next game. And then the final game would be Iran. And then they got to have a better result against Iran, goal differential, than Wales has. So you got to beat Iran, number one. Number two, you got to be a better point spread than what Wales wins by. I think goals four matters most. Here's real quick, uh, Landon Donovan, cut 30. Halftime was the turning point. People have asked me for the last three weeks, probably like you guys, what, are, what do you think of Team USA? What are their chances? I've said the same thing the whole time. Young teams, inexperienced teams, they do this or they do this, and there's like very little in between. And so the first half, you're like, wow, this team, like, really, really good. And, and then the, the second, second half you- was dramatically different, uh, and Wales seemed to take control. I think fitness was actually an issue. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. BrianKilmeade.com. Find out where I'll be with the President of Freedom Fighter Tour. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody, from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. This is Brian Kilmeade, back in New York after being on the road for the last few days. Happy to be here in Midtown Manhattan, where uh, we were told by Al Sharpton to back off the mayor because you might hurt him like they did David Dinkins. Actually, the mayor, I think, has been getting uh, less uh, debilitating statements than the previous mayor, and I believe he was white and tall, uh, as opposed to uh, Mayor Adams, who is... Um, who is in much better shape, much more disciplined, and I think doing a better job than the previous mayor. So I don't really know what they're worried about. This hour, we're going to be joined by Jonathan Swan, bring us inside Washington politics, and Tony Miola, one of the finest goalkeepers in American history uh, from, uh, from Qatar, will be telling us the ramifications of the 1-1 draw with Wales. And now the biggest, as also Saudi Arabia just pulled up the biggest upset, they say statistically, in World Cup history, beating Argentina. So we'll talk about that and do a simulcast with Barney and Company. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This team is going to be in the underdog role, a, 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 a role that they love 
and is very, very comfortable. Over decades, we've been very, very comfortable. So they, they have nothing to lose. And I think, I think they will rise to the occasion. So the glass is half full. And that is Lexi Lala saying, don't worry, it's just a tie. Don't worry about it. It'll get better. The World Cup subplots, terror plots, and protests and heartbreaking ties. We'll discuss it all. Number two. More of the country is more like Florida than, you know, we may want to believe. But majority of America is more, you know, rural and, you know, full of conservative values. That's Charlemagne the God, a left-wing Democrat, lining up. That's what candidates are doing, running against Trump for the GOP nomination. That's what Republicans are doing as they add a seat to their majority in the House with more to come. Will it all equal an agenda that all Americans can rally behind? Number one. We commissioned an independent forensic review to determine its authenticity. Just the sheer volume of what we're dealing with, it would be difficult uh, if not impossible, to fabricate. No kidding. Two years later, breaking news. Hunter Biden's laptop is real. Emails, photos, all authentic. I am stunned. This, according to CBS, after two years since it was first made public, CBS pretends as if they verified Joe's crackhead son was leading the family business of influence peddling with Joe very much involved. Why does CBS come forward now? I have a theory. With me right now is Jonathan Swan from Axios. Jonathan, why is CBS suddenly curious about the laptop, do you think? I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen the um, – I haven't read the story, honestly. Um, and uh, I assume they have – like, different publications have verified different parts of it. Um, and I should say, like, it's actually not as easy as I think some people think to verify all the contents – of a laptop like this. Uh, so I don't know what process they went through, and I don't want to speculate because I, I truly don't know uh, you, you, about you, Yeah, what here's, what it's, here's what it sounded like. Cut one. We commissioned an independent forensic review to determine its authenticity. Just the sheer volume mm-hmm. of what we're dealing with, it would be difficult, uh, if not impossible, to fabricate. Mm-hmm. So they went into detail on it, and they got curious now where they didn't even try before. But one thing I would have done is maybe call some people on the emails. Say, hey, did you write this email to Hunter or Joe or to the daughter? Or, I mean, just to get just to dismiss it right away and then to be curious two and a half later, two and a half years later, I'm wondering if they're going to be more willing to let this go so Joe goes. I don't know. I, I don't want to speculate about um, editorial decisions when I just truly have no idea what um, what their processes are internally. Do you think that it's going to move forward? What that what's going to move forward? The whole looking into business dealings in Joe Biden. Do you see a track? Oh yeah, there? it'll be it'll be a uh, central priority of the of the new House Republican majority. I think um, uh, the, as Oversight Chair Comer has made very clear that they're going to make this a priority, and they're going to have substantial resources and a pretty sharp focus on it. So, yeah, I I absolutely think this is going to be one of the major threads of their investigations over the next two years. I think it's going to be interesting, too, on the right to see who's going to get in. When Trump announced last week, do you think he was thinking to himself, I'll clear the field by announcing early? I think that at one point um, that was certainly a hope uh, that he had, and certainly that's what I've been told by one of his advisors, but that was before the midterm elections. And then obviously the midterms were disappointing for Republicans. And uh, some of his advisors, some of his key advisors wanted him to delay that announcement until after the Georgia runoff election in the Senate. He went ahead with it anyway. And so I don't think 
anyone, including Donald Trump, was operating under the illusion that his announcement would foreclose people like Ron DeSantis, uh, you know, potentially Pompeo. There's a whole series of them who are thinking about getting in and challenging him. I think that um, before the midterms, and if it was a thumping, you know, success and all Trump's candidates did really well in the midterms, I think that might have uh, narrowed the path for some of his competitors. But I don't think it would have cleared the field either. I think some of these um, some of these people are going to make independent assessments. Um, and that he never really had the capacity to fully clear the field. Interesting, because you have um, Nikki Haley, who basically says she wants uh, someone without the chaos, and Mike Pompeo, uh, someone more dependable. And then Chuck Todd asked this of Mike Pence, who is on his book tour now, uh, about a better option, cut 15. You stopped short of saying that the former president is unfit to serve again, but his former defense secretary, Mark Esper, says he's unfit for office. Another former defense secretary, Jim Mattis, says Trump has no moral compass. Bill Barr, the attorney general, he has neither the temperament nor the persuasive powers. Judge Luddick, somebody you admire, I know. Trump and his apologists are a clear and present danger to American democracy. Um, is he fit to serve as president of the United States for another four years? And basically, Penn says it's up to the people to decide there are going to be better options. How surreal will it be, Jonathan, to see Pence on the same stage with with Trump competing for the same job? Yeah, I mean, especially given, I mean, I spent, you know, not a huge amount of time with Pence, but a, a reasonable amount um, throughout the four years of the Trump administration. And, you know, he was unfailingly loyal to Trump and would praise him at every turn publicly and privately. Um, the joke among reporters was there was no off-the-record Mike Pence because even in off-the-record, <laughs> he would just tell people how wonderful uh, uh, Trump was. So it'll be a very strange situation to see um, to see them next to each other. And also anyone who um, has observed Trump in these settings knows that uh, it's going to get pretty uh, vicious in terms of uh, – and personal, most likely, in terms of how he – he really only knows two speeds. Uh, you're either his – loyal best friend or, you know, sworn enemy. Uh, so I think Pence understands that, and uh, I don't know what he's going to do, but his team uh, and he have certainly been signaling that it's likely that he will run. I think, well, how do you think this is going to be? What do you think these next two years are going to be like? Do you think right now we're going to be seeing a lot of candidates declare early since Trump's in already? I I don't I, I don't know timing for different candidates. Um. I do hear from – I don't want to overstate my knowledge because Ron DeSantis is a very uh, careful and kind of closed book in many ways and has a very tight circle. So um, I don't know for certain what he's thinking. But people in his orbit uh, tend to say that he's likely to do his legislative session in Florida next year, notch up some – hopefully from their standpoint, notch up some big conservative victories. And then, you know, I think the session ends in something like the spring, maybe May or June, and then he'd be well stationed then to announce if he wants to. So I don't expect, and, and, and the other perspective I heard is that, you know, he's in no rush in the sense that Trump's declared. And right now, as the only person out there, Trump is sort of running against himself, which is actually quite a favourable position um, if you're Ron DeSantis and you can just govern and notch up victories and, um, you know, Trump will sort of 
be saying and doing whatever he's saying, but um, as a private citizen and, and not having you as the foil um, running against you as a declared candidate might actually be uh, favorable for DeSantis. You know, it's interesting is because people have to decide if you're going to take Trump on, you have to do it and not lose his supporters. How do you do that? Because if, if you beat Trump, but you lose his uh, 35 percent right. of the Republicans, you can't win. Are you talking about uh, you can't win a primary or a general election? Primary, you know, in the general, I don't know where they'll go. Well, but, if you know, so just so in the, the primary, primary, the primary math is is um, is interesting. Like Trump does have a very solid floor, but he has lost. It, uh, there's, there's now enough polls out since the midterms to show across multiple states there has been a meaningful um, defection of support from Donald Trump to Ron DeSantis. Uh, in some of these polls, DeSantis is ahead. Um, I think part of this depends on how many people get in. Trump benefits from a very large field, um, dividing up the anti-Trump vote. And you could see a sort of a 2016 redux where he can win with a plurality rather than a majority of Republican primary voters. But then the second question, which I think is in some ways more interesting is let's say somebody beats Trump, which I think is still a huge mountain for anyone to climb. I still think he's a very, very potent candidate. But let's say someone like DeSantis beats Trump. What does Trump do at that point um, if there is another candidate who has won the nomination? Does Trump help them? Does he encourage his supporters to support them? Or does he go on a jihad? against them. And that will be meaningful because there are still millions of voters out there who listen to Donald Trump and follow him. And that could have a real effect in a general election if if uh, Trump is not fully on board with um, with the candidate. And the whole thing with special counsel, Jonathan, I mean, now now that do you think when you go to The New York Times, there's going to be a whole there's going to be is this going to be as big as the Mueller report where every day you hear about some leak and some investigation and somebody talking and somebody coming into the office? And what are they saying when you got the two tracks of January 6th as well as the Mar-a-Lago papers? I tend to doubt it. I don't know. I mean, I certainly hope uh, they leak prolifically to me in particular <laughs> um, uh, and, and that I can get, you know, uh, microscopic detail of inside the room, whatever. But the, the Garland Justice Department has been fairly tight, uh, fairly hard to penetrate. Um, the fact that no one knew about this decision, for example, it didn't leak, um, is, is somewhat telling as well. Um, so I, I don't know. Um, and I do think that um, one of the questions that we have as reporters is what happens to the speed of the investigation now that it's been handed over to a special counsel? Does it you know, he has said, um, the new special counsel has said that he's not going to slow down or pause or whatever. But, you know, these investigations tend to historically drag out for long periods of time. So we'll see what happens. And, you know, it gets very complicated as it gets closer and closer to the election. So I don't know. Right. He's obviously managing the, those two threads, the, the documents investigation out of Mar-a-Lago and the January 6th related investigation. And then Trump has these other investigations. He's got the one in Georgia. Um, he's got uh, two New York investigations. Um, so there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of investigations running parallel to each other um, and unclear whether any of them are going to lead to an indictment.
It's unbelievable, too, because we do know his CFO is on trial for the Trump organization. Uh, we also know that now all of a sudden they want to reinvigorate the problem with Stormy Daniels. Uh, did he pay her off or not? Like there's no other crime in New York. It's insane. And now the Georgia election, that's been simmering, the Georgia uh, issue. Did he overstep his bounds? And now we see the Mar-a-Lago papers. It's, um, I've never seen – to have one of these investigations is significant. We got five. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of recent parallels. They weren't in so many states, but probably Bill Clinton is the one you think back to in terms of just like spending his entire presidency under various investigations. But um, yeah, I don't know that there is a um, a historical parallel for the quantity of investigative efforts at the federal and state level uh, against a former president. Do you think the president would run as an independent if he loses the nomination? I don't want to speculate. I don't know. Um, uh, I, I just don't know what he would do in that scenario. And I don't think he would know. I think, like, anyone who's covered Trump for long enough and spent time with his aides and him knows that casting out too far is a really foolish <laughs> endeavor. <laughs> exactly. um, and I've been embarrassed personally by uh, trying to do it in the past. So I might refrain uh, today. <laughs> two, two questions for you. Do you yeah. think after the Republicans reach out and they realize I got the nomination, but I didn't win over the country and it's been brought up. Nikki Haley brought it up that they lost the popular vote even when they do win the election. They were with Bush and with Trump. Right. So do you think that the Republicans going to say well, it's Bush not so the much popular vote, actually? Uh, no, George, not the first one oh, against right. against H-W. Gore. Right. So. So do you think there might be a point where Republicans look around and say, OK, that might be my guy or my woman, but can they win over Democrats and independents? Do you think that they're that savvy enough to say, I'm tired of picking somebody that agrees with me? I need somebody that agrees with some Democrats and independents. I don't know how to answer that question because it really entails getting inside the minds of vast quantities of Republican primary voters. And historically, um, they haven't tended to vote based on um, electability, thinking about, you know, projecting out and making this sort of very kind of political science-y uh, decision, tend to vote yeah. for the person who excites them the most. And Trump still excites people a lot. But there are models of Republicans who've done this. I mean, there are models at the gubernatorial level, like Tununu, Um Good Lord, Ron DeSantis. Uh, now, granted, Florida is becoming a much more red state, but he, he, he made huge inroads with Hispanic voters and and women and, and across all kinds of demographics. So there are, there are Republicans around the country doing this, but gotcha. whether that um, whether they can pull that off in a national, a nationalized we'll see. Uh, situation. Jonathan, yeah. thanks so much. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Just a quick announcement coming up. You know, it's uh, here before you know it. December 2nd, I'm going to be on stage at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center performing, uh, talking about all my books, having some great times, talking about the news, talking about what's happening. It's a lot of fun. And talking about our history, starting with George Washington's Secret Six, Thomas Jefferson, Tripoli Pirates, Andrew Jackson, Miracle of New Orleans, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, and the President Freedom Fighter, which is now out on paperback. And what I've been doing across the country in Mississippi, over in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, and all around the country, I've done this about 15 times, 
is just have a chance to interact with you and find out what's on your mind, especially after the midterms. That's at the end. But it's a full production. And we're also going to have special appearances by Pete Hegseth, Rachel Campos, Duffy, as well as Coley Shimkus going to be down there. Plenty of Fox surprises. Just go to BrianKillMe.com. The seats are running out. I know a lot of people are going to wait to walk up. You can't really do it for this one because I think we'll be sold out by then. Uh, there's also VIP opportunities where I get a chance to talk to you before this whole thing starts. So uh, we'll do all that, and uh, we'll talk about things like what happened on the radio show. And tell us what you think and what you want me to add and what you want me to have more of. When we come back, I'm going to be talking a little World Cup with uh, what's Game 2 going to look like on Friday. Uh, U.S. against England, as well as the mammoth upset. Saudi Arabia beating Argentina 2-1. If they could do that, why can't we beat England? And then why can't I just beat Pierce Morgan in this bet? Tire win. $5,000 to charity. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Look out here. Shot taken. Go! Adesade just takes it through two defenders. It's poor defending from Argentina, but look at this. Gets a little bit of a space and then just drives this one to the far post. No chance for Martinez. And what a strike. Just the fingertips, but not enough. And Saudi Arabia go up 2-1 to one within this match. And it is bedlam after this goal. Yeah, Argentina, one of the favorites to win the whole World Cup. I think they won 36 straight games or not lost. 36 games without a loss. They went up one nothing on a penalty kick by Messi, Lionel Messi. And then they thought they'd be fine, dominated the first half. The second half was mostly Saudi Arabia. They came back, a stunning comeback. They will go ahead and record the victory 2-1. They say statistically it's the greatest upset in the history of the World Cup. They were the 51st-ranked team in the world going against the number three team in the world. Uh, it was Saudi Arabia was barely in the game during the first half, first 45 minutes, they say. And we're heading off the field. They look like they're going to get dominated. But then they got a goal from Al-Shiri as well as Dawasari, a right-footed effort that flew into the top corner. It was unsavable, it looked to me anyway. And with, with, the, uh, with Messi as a captain and probably his last World Cup, many people thought Argentina would be in the final. And it's still possible, possible for them to get there. But now they've really got to win the last two games uh, and see what, see what happens. Stunning. Now, if that can happen, you have to wonder if the U.S. can rally and beat England. They tied them four year, or two years ago. I want you to hear what happened yesterday. Here's, uh, here is uh, the first goal from the U.S. Musa. Sergeant Polisic on the run. Polisic has Wea. Polisic rolls it in. Tim Wea. And that was the goal to put the U.S. up one nothing. They kind of dominated in the first half. What happened in the second? Let's go to one of the finest goalkeepers America's ever produced. Now an outstanding commentator, Tony Miola. Tony, welcome back. Right, what's happening, man? How are you? Good, good. So first off, I just played the goal in the first half, and it, and it looked like the U.S. was dominating. It looked like the better team. What happened in the second? You know, they did. I, I think they they did dominate the first half. I think when you look at overall performances, it's probably one of the better performances we've seen from this group. Um, and they looked they looked really comfortable. Uh, there was one tactical change in the second half where Wales brought in a big target forward, Kiefer Moore, and we kind of. We were a little bit surprised it didn't start, to be honest, but it changed the way that they play. They were a little bit more direct, and then it became more of a battle than it was, you know, putting the ball in the deck and playing. And the U.S. didn't respond, uh, didn't respond well to it. 
Um, of course, and I said yesterday after the game, uh, of course you expected some some reaction from Wales, right? They weren't just going to sit and roll over and play dead to the U.S., um, and they didn't. Credit to them, they fought. I think I think if you, Brian, would have sold a 1-1 result to fans a month ago, they probably would have bought it. But I think the way that it happened after dominating, um, it, it it feels like two points lost. Right. And I'm ta- by the way, I'm talking to a guy that knows all about clutch. He put the U.S. into the – I remember the World Cup was just a distant – that was for some other teams to play and not us. But you, uh, you of course, played in the 90-94 and 2002 World Cups. Uh, Tony Miola with us now, as well as being the 2000 MLS Goalkeeper of the Year and MLS uh, Cup MVP in 2000. So, uh, Tony, you now understand that the U.S. kind of you helped the U.S. make its mark in the world and let you know what they're capable of. So now they say that this team, although the youngest, is the most talented because they look how many of these players are playing and, and thriving internationally. Are you one of those people? Well, remember, this is we, 90 was actually the youngest team that played. This is the second youngest U.S. team. But I, I look at it. Uh, are they the most talented? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I would put our 2002 team up against them, our 94 team. It, it's not a matter of talent. It's a matter of where they are in their careers, right? It's They're still all young, and there's not – even even though we have a bunch of guys playing right. in a lot of places, when you look up and down the roster, Brian, there's not a lot of guys – You know, I, I use the term piano players and piano carriers, right? <laughs> the piano players are the messies of the world, the guys that, you know, that, that make all the beautiful – uh, you know, plays on the field and make it look easy. And then there's the piano carriers. They're the workhorses. And there's not a lot of guys here that are the man, if you will. And I'm saying that in air quotes, in their groups, right? There's guys that are, are complimentary players where you, you, you know, you're, you're a part, you're a piece to the puzzle in your group. Right now, Aronson, um, now Tim, uh, uh, Tyler Adams, you know, guys like that, they're starting every week, and that's a, that's a different story. Like Christian Pulisic is still not a full-time starter with Chelsea. Um, so I, I think, one, that hurt us a little bit in our fitness yesterday um, because you don't have all of those minutes. You would think in a lot of ways it would help you. It may have hurt us in the end. But I think, um, uh, again, I go back to uh, if you would have given this result a month ago, yeah. you would have taken the result. With that said, there's this big dilemma now why Gio Reyna didn't play. He says he was 100% fit. Um, the the manager says that they were being precautionary with him. Now he has had a long laundry list at 19 years old of, of injuries um, and, and muscle injuries in particular. So this is becoming now a debate that we probably um, – shouldn't be having or, or don't not, not we should be having it we don't want to have during the world cup uh but it's it's festering over the last uh you know 18 hours or so no i hear you and of course you played uh, and grew up with his dad uh Claudia Reina. Yeah. so it must be it must be interesting for you to watch his uh, son looked at as a dynamic scoring threat sitting on the bench the whole game and that's one of the things you're talking about uh as you cover the game so what do they have to do now to get through yeah, I mean they've got to they they've got to get a result. Um, well, first we you skip to the third game. I mean that's got to be three points against Iran, and that's not going to be easy. Iran got, I mean, absolutely hammered. And my old coach, the Metro Stars in New York back in the day, Carlos Quiros, who's the manager there, 
you can't, I can't imagine that Iran's going to play that poorly over the stretch of three games, right? Um, so you, you've got to try and get something against England. You, and at a minimum, you can't concede a lot of goals against England because that really puts you behind the eight ball. Um, you have to expect that, that Wales is, is likely going to get some type of result against uh, Iran in this second game. But who knows? I, I do the show, my radio show with Eric Winaldo, you know, and we were teammates in 1994. And, he, you know, we were talking after our show last night. and We were saying, you know, doesn't this remind it, – it's, it's sort of an eerie reminder of uh, 94 in the U.S. when we draw Switzerland. And now we got to play Colombia, who some people, including Pele, picked Colombia to win the World Cup. And how far away were we from, from people thinking that we were going to get a result in that? Uh, we ended up beating Colombia in that second game, and that's what propelled us to the next round. So, look, it, what we saw today with Saudi Arabia beating Argentina, right? Anything can happen in the World Cup, but they th- this can't be a, a lopsided uh, loss. I think that's that's the biggest issue the U.S. would run into. Um, having said that, these guys, a lot of these guys are playing against this this group of English players week in and week out. They're a talented side. But they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. Nor do I expect them to be in awe of anything that England's going to throw at them. So, for example, if you come in second, are you automatically through? And what's going to decide on goal differential? Goals against or goals for? uh, Only first two. It's goal differential first. Um, So that's the first thing you got to worry. That's why you know a big defeat like Iran took yesterday. They're at a minus four. So even if they were to pull something off in the next two matches and maybe tie on points with someone, those that minus four is big uh, in the World Cup and, and because you only have three games, right? And in what's typically a low-scoring sport, if you will, um, it, it's, it means a lot, as you know. So, yeah, they, they've, if they can get anything out of uh, – if they get a draw out of England, I think that, that puts them in a really good spot. I never thought that this team was going to, to qualify in two games. You look at, like – uh, Brazil and Argentina, even though they lost today, you, you always thought Argentina was going to qualify like in the first two games. I never saw this U.S. team in this group qualifying for the next round in two games. I always thought it was going to take three games. So um, they, they, destiny is still in their own hands for sure, and I think that's the most important thing. The one thing you hate, Brian, as you know, as, a, as an athlete, you just hate like waiting for results from other teams, you know. You can still take care of business on on your own accord right now. Right. Lastly, Saudi Arabia just comes back and beats Argentina. Well, they weren't holding on. How unlikely was that victory for the non-soccer fans <laughs> listening right now? Well, they're calling it the biggest uh, the biggest upset in, in World Cup history. Um, when you talk about rankings and, you know, how far teams were up and down the table. and um, But it it was – Anyone who who got up early enough to watch it, um, it was about a deserved uh, performance as as uh, you could give. And and they they scored some great goals. Um, they shut down Messi for the most part. They were organized defensively. I mean, all those all those gotcha. things that if you put a formula together on how to beat like so-called bigger teams we saw today uh, from Saudi Arabia. Right. <laughs> it's fun to watch, that's for sure. Tony, it's always fun to listen to you. Congratulations on all your broadcasting success. Tony Miola, thank you.
Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. In a matter of moments, I'm going to be on with Ashley Webster, filling in for Stuart Varney. By the way, I'm going to be on the 5 tonight. And then uh, Wednesday, I'll be filling in for Jesse. And, of course, we'll have our normal show of One Nation on Saturday. And, uh, And then we'll have a chance to talk about what's happening. Hopefully, we're going to get a result on Friday, and I'll be able to survive uh, the bet I made with Pierce Morgan that the U.S. will tie or beat uh, England on Friday. And I think they will. Uh, I think they got to play better. I think they'll mess, uh, they'll mess with the lineup a little bit. So let's listen to Ashley Webster and let's simulcast. 10.51 a.m. here on the East Coast. Brian Kilmeade joins us now. Brian, uh, good morning to you. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on this. A new poll showing that Florida's Governor DeSantis starting to close the gap with former President Trump in a hypothetical 2024 matchup. I guess my question is, is this what 2024 will be all about? Trump versus DeSantis? What do you think? Well, I think there's a few things happening. Mike Pompeo is also subtly taken on the president. On top of that, Nikki Haley is taken on the former president. And then you yeah. have directly Governor Hogan as well as Governor Chris Christie mentioning the president's name. The others are just dancing on the edges but making it clear they have uh, they have a, a run at it. I think DeSantis comes in the favorite, no doubt about it. But I think Yunkin is another person. I think as a country, Ashley, I think both sides are realizing it doesn't matter what Democrats like. Who's going to win over the independents and a portion of the other party? Isn't that it? You might be really Mm -hmm. happy with your candidate. But if you don't believe your candidate can win the general, what's the point? And I think that's the takeaway that Republicans are thinking right now. So who's your candidate? Well, I like him or her. But if you can't win over any Democrats or Republicans, for example, is there a politician more talented than Carrie Lake? Probably not. The problem is, as of now, barring mm-hmm. any recount, no independents, no Democrats seem to be coming to her side. So that's why I think that the one that can appeal to, to somewhat some moderates as well as not turn off conservatives will be the most successful. But Trump hoped to clear the field. Right. I don't think he's going to. No, it's interesting. It's what everyone is talking about, of course. Uh, But I want to move on, Brian, this one. Jeff Dunham calling out his fellow comedians for what he says becoming too political. Here's what he told you on Fox & Friends earlier. Listen to this. Comedians are picking sides, and I don't know why they have to do that. They pick one side, then they trash the other side. They call everybody morons, and both sides does it. And then you're eliminating half your audience or half the the people that could be your audience. So I don't do that. I go back to the days of maybe Will Rogers, Bob Hope, Carson Leno. You never knew what their politics were. Yeah, he makes a good point, and I'm sure you agree, but they're never going to change, are they, Brian? I think they might. I really do, because Jay Leno was not too long ago. You know, there was a while when you didn't know who David Letterman was cared about yeah. until the end, until John McCain ran. And now you have Jimmy Kimmel came out and said, I was told by management, you know, it would help ratings if you didn't kill Trump as much. And he basically said to them, you can get another host if you want. So the one that comes out there and Ooh. wants the bigger ratings, I think we'll go out there and do it. Until then, Gutfeld owns it. And remember, you know, Ronald Reagan yeah. and Johnny Carson were good friends. But Carson would mock Reagan mm. as a forgetful guy that tend not to know details in skits. And Reagan used to laugh. Why? Because he was an equal opportunity offender. The biggest joke, lack of jokes, is SNL. <laughs> SNL just has given up any yes. sense of uh, balance, which makes us, you know, it makes people go, all right, that's a left-wing show. 
How many times? We were on SNL the other night, two weeks ago. The cold open was Fox and Friends. Do yeah. you know the only time I still always yeah. mention it was on Mediaite? It went a whole day, two days. No one even texts me about it because almost <laughs> nobody watches anymore because it's become too not yeah. funny and too left wing. Right. And, and to Jeff Dunham's point, you're losing 50% of your audience. But last one, Brian, very quickly, World Cup underway. Uh, U.S. playing against England on Friday. You can watch that match on Fox, by the way. You placed a big bet on that game with Piers Morgan, if I'm not... Uh, yes. Uh, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm reliably informed. Let's put it that much. Uh, how much did you put on the line? Uh, for the, the winner gets, gives it to charity, at least I am. Five thousand. I wanted one thousand, oh. but he said five because he makes a lot more money, or he's thinking Oof. pounds. Uh, number two, <laughs> but I know I'm going to win because all I have to do. The U.S. has to tire win. Now, Ashley, you saw how well the U.S. played in the first half. You saw Saudi Arabia upset Argentina. Yeah. This would not be as yes. big an upset as that. You have to believe you're in America no. now. You have to be on my side. Don't tell me you're pulling for Pierce Morgan in England. No, and I think watching the U.S. yesterday, they're, they're a very young team. Um, and, uh, you know, the second half, not so great yesterday, but they had tons of potential. They've got a lot of Premier League players. They've got the, they, they can do it. And, uh, you know, it's only the first game, so I think it's going to be very competitive on Friday. Uh, and, and you're saying that Piers Morgan is going to donate to charity. I think that's probably a big surprise. Well, I think anyway. he is, Brian, but it's up to time. him. But he's not going to have that opportunity because the U.S. will prevail. Because you're going to win. Thank you. Amen. We'll leave it there. Brian Kilmeade. Thank you so much, Brian. Uh, the U.S. again. Will be- All right. I don't know. Does Pierce not like give to charity? Is that what Ashley is, is bringing up? I don't know. He actually didn't say he was giving to charity, but I, I'm not. I'm looking. It's not going to happen. Uh, so he's going to give it to me and I will give it to fold half the fold of honor and half a tunnel to towers and let them fight over it. Uh, so one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I do believe there have been bigger upsets uh, in the games. Remember, in Colombia, what Tony Miola was referring to 10 minutes ago when he joined us, the outstanding goalie for the U.S., uh, in that Colombia game, Escobar got killed because of that. They accused him of throwing the game or some crazy uh, mobster came and killed him in a restaurant afterwards. There was a movie done on that. That's how shocking the U.S. win was. Pele predicted Columbia would win. The U.S. in a must-win situation. Tied Switzerland. They went ahead, and I believe they beat Columbia. So that was more stunning. And I believe that there's a, there's a shot at doing it. I just don't think they're going to be intimidated. The other thing to keep in mind, too, and this is the last I'm going to say about soccer this half hour because many of you aren't into it, but some of you, especially the WABC listeners, we've got a cosmopolitan makeup. I will say this. The MLS is mattering more and more. They're going to build a stadium in Queens. They're selling out well. The Red Bulls are selling well. In Yankee Stadium, they were going to see the NYCFC. And I will say this. If you get Messi and Ronaldo here next year, I know they're in their 30s, but still, they they are sensational players, dynamic players with star power. Look out for this league. Uh, You thought Beckham was big? These guys would be uh, four times as big. By the way, Beckham's an owner of Miami, and I think he's zeroing in on Messi. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, back here, Alex Conant will be joining us shortly. Uh, actually, 30 minutes, founding partner of Firehouse Strategies. He made his 
uh, a name getting a lot of Republicans elected from George W. Bush to Marco Rubio. Uh, he's always done a good job work with Joni Ernst, and he's just an expert to give us an idea of what it looks like two, out, uh, two years out, even with Donald Trump on their investigations declaring again, uh, and so many other Republicans letting indicating that they will be in soon. And then Julie Banderas will be with us before she joins Outnumber at the top of the hour. And I'll be on the five tonight, so that'll be great. And again, I hope you guys all join me December 2nd. Just a few tickets left over in the Jersey Performing Arts Center. If you're listening, or WRCN, WABC, uh, anywhere in the surrounding area, one of our 200-plus stations, hope you can join me then. It's a great night. It's so much fun. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This team is going to be in the underdog role, a a role that they love and is very, very comfortable. Over decades, we've been very, very comfortable. So they, they have nothing to lose. And I think... I think they will rise to the occasion. So the glass is half full. According to Lexi Lawless, despite the tie, there are subplots, terapots, and protests. We'll bring you the latest as Saudi Arabia has just pulled off the biggest upset in World Cup history. Number two. More of the country is more like Florida than, you know, we may want to believe. But majority of America is more, you know, rural and, you know, full of conservative values. That is Charlemagne the God talking to Fox News Digital saying, uh, lining up, that's what candidates are doing right now, ringing against Donald Trump and the for the GOP nomination. And on the left, not much there. Even those on the left admit it. Are they beginning to queue up Joe Biden for a quick exit? We'll discuss. Number one. We commissioned an independent forensic review to determine its authenticity. Just the sheer volume of what we're dealing with, it would be difficult, uh, if not impossible, to fabricate. Yes. Uh, Breaking news. Joke. Hunter Biden's laptop is real. It turns out we could take Miranda Devine's uh, book, Laptop from Hell, and take it from fiction to nonfiction. I'll tell I'll inform her right away. The photos are authentic. The emails are authentic. Yup. The Biden family is all chronicled on a laptop that they dropped off in an independent repair station, just like we knew two and a half years ago. But CBS just right now is pretending as if they just confirmed it. Julie Banderas joins us now, as promised. Uh, she is the author of Fiona's Fantastical Fort, and she's getting set to, is it true you're going to be on Outnumbered? I am. I am. I raced up here because I had to fit this show in is, first because this what is you're priority. Wearing? This is what I'm wearing. Should I change? Is, no, is I okay? think it's great. I just oh, want to okay. know if you were dressing for me. <laughs> Right, and if you had a radio no, outfit and a TV wait, outfit. you do realize usually when I'm on radio and I don't have to be on TV later, I usually come in here with wet hair and no makeup, right? Right. I know. You know what? It, does, it seems you're like, like wow, you're, you're, you're very so comfortable. Fancy today. I would yeah. say that. Um, no, it's good to see you. It's so good to see you. I love you. That's why I made it happen for you Well, today. thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I'm going to be on the five, five hours after. Oh. Uh, That's a long day. No, your days are just so long. It's insane to me. Right. And you already do six hours of television and radio combined. So you're worried about it. I do worry. Are you worried for the public I'm not going to have anything interesting to say because I'm all out of like No, you would never run out of it. If there's one person that will never run out of things to say, it's you. Uh, I swear to God. I think that's a little bit insulting in a way, No, it's actually true. Ask your producers. Oh. So, so, so Julie, I'm being sarcastic here, and you're better being sarcastic than I'll ever be. No way. CBS confirmed Catherine Herridge, you know what a great reporter yes, she is. Yes. Per- pretending as if they just broke the news that upon further review that we believe the laptop is real. They go through this whole gymnastics. I mean, I was just beside myself. Here's 13 seconds of the discovery. We commissioned an independent forensic review 
to determine its authenticity. Just the sheer volume of what we're dealing with, it would be difficult, uh, if not impossible, to fabricate. Um, I mean, no kidding. We knew this from day one. Yeah, I, I can't understand why everybody else hasn't been on board. I mean, I do understand why. Obviously, they were trying to protect the president. They were trying to protect never the Bidens. But, I mean, it's all the evidence is out there. And I think you know why it's actually coming out now is because the Republicans are going to lead an investigation. Now that the Republicans have taken control of the House, this is actually going to become something that everyone's going to be talking about. And the mainstream media can no longer ignore it because the investigation's out there. The evidence is out there. The evidence has been out there since before the election. That's what's so gross is that they're just now talking about it now after the man's been in the office for two years. So now it's trending on Twitter and you see all these people from uh, C- uh, from CNN, from Morning Joe, from yeah. this and it's a joke, and there's 20, all these 50-plus experts who come out and say uh, that there's definitely t- typical Russian disinformation. Yeah. Remember this exchange with 60 Minutes. For some reason, Donald Trump decides to do the interview with Leslie Stahl, and he brings up the laptop. Yep. He said all this stuff about corrupt business dealings with 50 separate nations with, between Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. And this is what Leslie Stahl says, cut to. I think it's one of the biggest scandals I've ever seen, and you don't cover it. Because you want to talk about... Well, because it can't be verified. You want to talk I'm about insignificant you. things. I'm telling you. Of course it can be verified. Excuse we, me, we they found the laptop. It. Leslie, Leslie. Can't be verified. I mean, two years later, CBS News finally confirms what we've all known all along, that it was verified and the president, the former President Trump, was right. God forbid. But they don't obviously going. By the way, the other thing is I wonder if there's going to be any kind of like walking back. Well, you know what? Maybe we were wrong to not cover it. Dismiss it. Yeah, but they're not going to take admit they're not going to admit any fault whatsoever. They buried it under the rug. That's all there was to it, because the Republicans have said in, the, in, in Congress that there have been plenty of evidence, sufficient evidence. And don't tell me that Hunter Biden didn't have conversations with his father about dealings with Russia and well, China. That's what's going to come out. It's uh, absolutely. Why isn't there an investigation? I know it's impossible, near impossible to subpoena a sitting president. But and I get that. But why wasn't he subpoenaed before the election? About his involvement with Hunter. Because people came out and ran cover for him and 51 intel experts from uh, Michael Hayden to uh, James uh, Clapper to uh, Brennan to a lot of people that I couldn't believe. Morell, Mike Morell, who's Mm -hmm. been on here before. So these are all – and that's why when Trump brought it up, he said 51 experts says it's classic Russian disinformation, which, by the way, is a lie. So look at Joe Biden sat up there, knew he was involved in these – Country, these these deals with 50 separate countries knew intimately what was going on. We got him on voicemail twice saying this and knowing that he just looked into the camera and said, no, classic Russian disinformation, knowing it was his son's laptop. Add this. He did a book tour. Hunter wrote a book and did a book tour. Right. And with friendly outlets, Jimmy Killian said, is the laptop really? He goes, I don't know. I don't know. So it's you're never going to get me. You'll never pursue me. I'll write a book and try to make money. And I dare you to go dig into my background because no one's listening. That's blatant narcissism because, quite frankly, he dangled it in the public's eye, assuming that nobody's going to jump on this information, knowing that the mainstream media is going to back his father no matter what. So, in other words, Hunter Biden can do no wrong. That is essentially what Hunter Biden proved with his book, and his own father condoned it. Well, let me ask you something, and I don't want you to try this. But uh, and I won't either. But if I wanted to smoke crack, take my clothes off and go get hookers, who's covering for me? 
You mean again? Yeah. Um, uh, your dogs? <laughs> I don't know. No I one's covering. <laughs> nobody's covering for me. Believe me. John Ma- uh, John Paul Mac Isaac. I think it's are these all four names? Uh, he he's the guy with the beret. Okay. Again, we're dealing with the beret. <laughs> uh, this is a guy who got the laptop dropped off. Hunter never responded to calls, right. so he actually took ownership when he didn't pay his eighty-five dollar bill. This is what he said it's been like for him as a whistleblower. Cut four. I have been dealing with retaliation uh, from multiple fronts for the past two years when what I did was leaked to the country. I'm, I'm expecting it, and I'm going to expect it to continue. Uh, it's, it's just when people are threatened, they fight back. Yeah, I think it's going to turn around for him. I think more and more people are going to be asking for interviews. Remember, Tony Bobulinski was brought up in the CBS report. The main thing is Catherine Herridge. Catherine Harris is going through this. You knew she left before she left Fox. She, she knew, knew this, this was information real. before she got to CBS. I mean, she's been working at Fox for many years. She knew all of this was out there. I would imagine that she brought the information with her to CBS and was probably turned down multiple times before now because now they would just look foolish if they didn't go forward with the story. So, and there's going to be so much more. I mean, if you think that this, what we know now is only the tip of the iceberg, I believe, I think there is so much more to be discovered in this. And I think that all the mainstream media are now running scared because they know they are going to be caught up in the the lie that they helped protect. So the thing is legally, I I personally, I'm going to take another step. And Mm -hmm. this is just an assumption. With the midterms done, Democrats don't feel any uh, don't feel any urge to protect Joe Biden. So let the facts fall where they may. You're not jeopardizing the only Democrat that could possibly get elected against Donald Trump. You're not jeopardizing a, re- a and, and tarring a Republican, a Democrat, right before the midterm elections. Now at 80 years old, clearly lost his fastball six, eight, ten years ago. Now let the chips fall where they may, and that's why they're all lining up to say, "Yeah, I was late." Didn't know. Well, you know, we had a guy get fired, whatever it is. Here's Jonathan Turley on where and where uh, where this whole thing is heading. Cut nine. Cut seven. And yet Merrick Garland has refused to appoint a special counsel. I don't question the appointment of a special counsel uh, on the Trump issue. He is a presidential candidate. That's within the strike zone. One can defend that. But you can't defend it. If you're not appointing a special counsel, in my view, in the Hunter Biden matter, that involves the sitting this, president though. of the United States. So that's the trouble he has. Why, why call the special counsel right after he announces and the House flips? Mm-hmm. And then this comes out, CBS puts it forward, and this brings things up. I'm just wondering, I haven't flipped around in a while. Have you flipped around? Are they even covering this no. anywhere? No, not at all. I mean, they're not covering it. They're covering January 6th still. That's all they're going to cover until an actual investigation comes forward, a special counsel should absolutely look into the president's involvement because if the president was involved in this, the ramifications are huge. I mean, not only did the president lie, which, Mm -hmm. I mean, if the tables were turned and it was a Republican president, there would be an all-out outcry for the 25th Amendment to be invoked. I mean, imagine if we had a Republican in the House and this is, I mean, in the the White House, and this was the scenario surrounding He's already called out for a dead congresswoman. He wants to know if she was there. That's enough for the 25th Amendment. So this guy, Curtis Hoke, he's with Newsbusters. He says this is what it means that CBS is confirming this. Cut nine. Tony Bobolinsky came up today on CBS. That was the first time in network news that Tony Bobolinsky's name has mm-hmm. been mentioned, which is just absolutely astonishing in and of itself. Yeah, for the next question for CBS is, 
You want to go deeper about the contents of the laptop. You want to talk about specific emails. You want to follow up on the reporting of the Daily Mail and others. Mm -hmm. uh, and for the others, yeah, you want to get to that point because they take their cues from the New York Times and the Washington Post, these major papers. So you would think that they, too, would want to follow to at least get ahead of this story. But uh, CBS is now out there saying it's real. It's not fake uh, after years of conspiracy theories. Uh, so yep. they have eggs on their faces. That's a bigger question. Yeah. Do they follow up? And do I don't they know. Start Does to... Leslie Stahl do a follow-up interview and issue the former president an apology? Because honestly, that is another question that I have for Leslie Stahl. Because that interview, we're going to be talking about it a lot. If I were her, I would want to clear the air. Now, and is say, this on our numbers today? Yes, we're going to we're going to be talking about. So this Leslie today. Stahl was so dismissive. You remember she did the interview after Trump won, mm -hmm. and how angry she was. Yes. He almost didn't want to be there. And this was her smug way of saying, now here's your exit interview. Right. I mean, it's, you know, and the other part of, of this whole thing that really bothers me is that nobody di bothered to pay attention to, let's say, the New York Post, which is owned by News Corp. Um, they broke the story 769 days, to be exact, before CBS did. So now I'm wondering if all the other networks will follow suit. Right. A couple of things. The people do, who are listening right now, it's not about his son and his, uh, and his dad lying about his son who's addicted to drugs. What this is about is high-stakes international business deals trading on the Biden name with nothing else of substance, saying, you know me, my dad is vice president, my dad's been doing this for 50 years, his inroads in the Senate are impeccable, and without peer, that's what I could bring you. And that's why these deals are being done, and that's what Tony Bobulinski helped engineer, because they had no experience. And when they started stabbing him in the back, and it looked like this was becoming anti-American behavior— deals with CEFC, an energy company in China, that's when he said, wait a second, you're double dealing, you're dealing me out. You're double dipping. First of all, as the president of the United States, you're not allowed to have any business dealings with anyone. President Trump had to relinquish his companies to his children because he could not be part of the Trump administration. And they couldn't right? do international as, deals. Yeah, no, he couldn't. So, you know, Trump, the name, his business had to be set off to his kids. So now the president that we have currently could have potentially been involved in business dealings that amount in the billions of dollars. Not only that, but also compromises U.S. security, as far right. as I'm concerned. I mean, we're talking about Russia and China here. They are not our friends. And so the president was basically uh, doing dealings with the enemy, or at least overseeing it. You know that Hunter Biden didn't think of all of this on his own. He leans to his father. He tells his father everything. And, and you can't deny is, that he didn't tell you what he was up to. And I go back to this, too. Do you know anybody that has addiction problems? I have known people that right. have addiction Do you know problems. the worst thing to do is put them under stress, especially holidays? Yeah. And he knows his son's got huge addiction problems. Yeah. And he's saying, yeah, go out to Ukraine and go cut a deal with Burisma. Go to China. Go to Kazakhstan. Go meet with the Moscow mayor. Yeah. Really? Yeah. You're putting that son out there to represent you? Not only is it a bad thing business-wise, yeah. but if you care about him, and I'm sure you do, you would never put him in that spot. No. You know, you let him benefit from it, use his advice because you say he's the smartest person you know. Uh, when we come back, uh, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. And, of course, Julie Banderas on Outnumbered shortly. Don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I really think... Look, we, we are, I think when historians look back at our time, they will not divide us into red and blue and Republican, Democrat. They're like, the things that were wrong with us were wrong with both sides in different ways. I do think they manifest in a more dangerous way on the right. But on the left, 
There is a rot, and it comes from academia, yes. and it filters down. And that is uh, Bill Maher continuing to make sense. I mean, he's way to the left. He rips uh, Republicans more. He says, but Republicans seem to, Julie Banderas, Republicans uh, seem to only pull out the parts where I talk bad about Democrats. I go, not really. People like your show because it's it's more interesting to go bo- at both sides, even yeah. if it's only a third. Yeah. I, I never thought I'd hear the words Bill Maher continuing to make sense out of your mouth. I know. <laughs> but lately he really has, right? For about a year. Yeah, I, but- absolutely. No, and I think it's because it's finally like the chips are all falling. And, I mean, I think the Democrats are starting to realize that they're screwed come the next pres- presidential election. Because, honestly, Biden doesn't stand a chance up against Trump or up against, quite frankly, I anyone. Think he, I think against, he does, though. How about I- Ron DeSantis? I mean, he's another but strong he- candidate. But, Julie, I think that unless Trump can find a way to get moderates and independents, I don't think he wins. Like, unless there's – there's got to be a different game plan. For example, there are certain teams, match up, make fights. There are certain teams that are never going to be another team. Certain fighters never going to be another fighter. See, Trump has to have something to bring in other people. To be honest with you, I don't think Trump's going to be the nominee. I really, truly believe Ron DeSantis is going to be the nominee. I really – I'm telling you, I almost would put money on this. I believe it's going to be Ron DeSantis. All the biggest GOP donors are by, behind Citadel CEO and you name it. The list goes on. They're all backing Ron DeSantis. And I think that's what and I think a lot of people really like what he did with COVID. He likes, you know, what what he's done with the economy in Florida. Um, I think it's going to come down to Ron DeSantis. Well, I just think Nikki Haley's going to— against gonna, Biden, I don't think Biden stands a chance. Well, I mean, if you get to South Carolina, Nikki Haley's extremely popular there, right? I can see a, Ron Scott, DeSantis, Nikki Haley. Tim Scott is going to be in there. Yeah. And then you see— uh, there's some other people in uh, Rick Scott for one. Number yeah. two, Mike Pompeo. I don't know if certainly has a resume. And then Chris Christie is dynamic. One thing you could say about that. And uh, who knows? Uh, Governor Hogan will be in, but I don't think him getting him getting any traction. No, but th- like, so you just went through all those names. Who do the Democrats have? Good question. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Republicans spend as much time fighting each other as we did the Democrats. It is time to quit eating our own. The truth is, Americans weren't trusting the state of our party. They don't want chaos. They want strength and stability and unity. We didn't have that. We have to look in the mirror. The Republican Party has lost the popular vote in the last seven out of eight presidential elections. That's saying something. We're behind the times, and we have to be honest with ourselves. Joe Biden turns 80 years old tomorrow. Happy birthday, Mr. President, but it's time for a younger generation to lead across the board. That is Nikki Haley, who said here on this show many times, well, if Donald Trump runs, I, I won't run. That's not the case, I don't think, anymore. Mike Pompeo kind of said, I'm not really deciding yet what I'm going to do. Well, decide the new year. No doubt about it. He said people uh, want, uh, don't want the drama. And then you have uh, Ron DeSantis, who says the best is yet to come. Alex Conan joins us now, knows all about uh, politics, especially Florida. Communications Director for Marco Rubio. Uh, Tim Pawlenty, done work with Conan, who served as White House spokesperson during President George W. Bush's second term, now is his own consultant consultant company. Alex, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of things going on right now on the Republican side, and people are kind of waiting 
Uh, people kind of waiting to see what's happening with Democrats, uh, not seeing necessarily any front runner or anybody replace Joe Biden. How would you describe the talent on the right? Look, I think when you look at 2024, I think we've got a, obviously a very vulnerable president if Joe Biden's running for re-election. And there's no bench in the Democratic Party. If Biden's not running for re-election, there's not obvious who's, who their nominee is going to be. So I think if you're if you're a Republican and you're looking at the White House in 2024, I know we just had a disappointing midterm election. But you got to feel bullish about 2024, about winning back the White House in 2024. And I think that's going to draw out a lot of candidates. As we saw in Las Vegas this weekend, that was the clip you just played from Nikki Haley. There was a there was a get together of powerful Republicans in, in Las Vegas, and I was gobsmacked at how strong our bench is. There there's at least a dozen people who I think could easily win the White House if they were if they were our nominee uh, next year. So as a Republican, I, I I feel very good about the 2024 election. It's going to be a long way. It's going to be really interesting to see how the primary shakes out. But I'm not surprised that a lot of people are taking a close look at it, including Nikki Haley there. Well, yeah. I mean, in terms of how it's going to play out, Alex, you live this. But I actually think the American people are becoming mini uh, consultants. And they're saying, well, I might like this guy. I might like this woman. But if you can't get Democrats independence, I'm tired of losing. Do you think people are going to be savvy enough to back a candidate that can win rather than just one that they like? Look, Republican voters are traditionally very pragmatic. And, I mean, you even go back to 2016 when I worked for Marco Rubio. I thought Rubio was the best candidate. I think a lot, you know, a lot of the, the, the folks in Washington, D.C., a lot of people in the media, heck, people in Hillary Clinton's campaign thought Rubio was, uh, was going to be the strongest general election candidate. It's in part why we took a lot of incoming flock during the primaries. But, um, but you know what? The voters knew best. And, 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 and Donald Trump won the nomination and obviously went on to win the, the election. I do think that Republican primary voters, especially in presidential campaigns, are very pra- pragmatic. And I think for anyone who's running for president, or thinking about running for president uh, on the Republican side, a big part of their message needs to be, I'm a winner, I can win. Frankly, I think that's why a lot of the early appeal right now for, for Ron DeSantis, a lot of the excitement around Ron DeSantis is because he's a proven winner. I mean, the, what he just did in, Cal, in Florida, and as you mentioned, I've, I've worked on a lot of campaigns in Florida, what DeSantis there, did there was historic and and unbelievable from, a, from just a pure politics perspective. What he did, winning Miami-Dade County, uh, winning by almost 20 points in a swing state was really impressive. And you have to take that into consideration when you're thinking about, well, who's going to be our best candidate in 2024? So Mike Pence is not known as an electrifying speaker or personality, but in terms of accomplishments and respect, I think he has a lot of it. I want you to hear a little bit about what he's doing with his book tour because he's splitting the difference. He doesn't necessarily want to start a fight with Trump, but he's also proud of what he did. Cut 16. But what I won't do is is... I won't join those that want to dismiss the four years of our administration and all that we accomplished for the American people. But as I write in So Help Me God, Mm -hmm. the president's leadership was central to our success in everything that was accomplished, whether it be rebuilding our military or decisions he made as commander-in-chief to allow our armed forces to crush the ISIS caliphate and take out their leader, to allow our armed forces to take out Qasem Soleimani, a man responsible for the death. And, of- and he runs through a lot of the things that you already know about, the Republicans will be citing, yeah. of accomplishments. He's like, include me in that, everything except January 6th. Can that be an effective message? I think so. I mean, it's actually the same message that Donald Trump seems to be using. I, I watched his announcement speech the other day. 
And it was all about his record. And so I think if you are a Republican, whether you're Donald Trump or somebody who served in the administration like like uh, like the former vice president or even a Nikki Haley or Pompeo, I think you absolutely want to run on Trump's accomplishments because they are impressive. And uh, and they're obviously going to be very popular. The policies are very popular, not just with Republican voters, but most of Trump's policies are really popular with independent voters, the independent voters that we need to win if we're going to win the White House back in 2024. What's not so popular is a lot of Trump's personality traits, the you know the tweets, the constant controversies, the constant chaos that seems to surround him. And so I think you're going to see people like Mike Pence try to uh, you know, trying to stay as close as they can to his policies, it really embrace the Trump policies while distancing themselves from some of the more negative aspects that are, are clearly turning off independent voters, why we lost in 2020, arguably why we lost or at least underperformed a bit in the midterms with some of the some of that some of the, the, the non policy issues. I think I think we really want to get the party back and our candidates back focused on those policies that are popular, not just with our base, but with independent voters. I think that's important. Alex, do you think that Trump is the front runner right now? Unquestionably, yeah, Trump's the front runner right now. Uh, simply, simply, I mean, he's got a, about 35 percent of the party that's pretty much locked up. And in a big field, you're going to win with 35 percent. Heck, in 2016, those early primaries, he was only getting about 30, 30 to 40 percent, 35 percent of the vote. But if you're running against six people, you're the winner. And so. Um, I, I think he is the front runner right now. That said, I think it's going to be a very competitive and very fluid nomination. I think there's a lot of Republican primary voters. They like Trump, but they're also open to the next generation. They're interested in Ron DeSantis. They want to hear uh, what some of the other candidates have to say. I think there's going to be a crowded debate stage. And, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, I've worked on a lot of presidential campaigns. And the one thing I've learned uh, is that they are long, they're really unpredictable. And whoever you think is going to be the front runner rarely is uh, come the Iowa caucuses. When so would you start I, I announcing? There's going to be a lot of ups and downs. When would you start announcing? Well, uh, you know, we know the president, the former president, and he was yeah. anxious to announce. I'm really not sure why, uh, but maybe it's legal. But when do we see the other announcements? So here, here's what I think. I think every candidate needs to run their own campaign. And my advice is don't let Trump or any other candidate dictate your own strategy. So if you're Ron DeSantis, I think it makes a lot of sense to go rack up some more policy wins in Florida during his legislative session early next year and then announce late summer. But I think if you're somebody like Mike Pence or Mike Pompeo uh, or even Nikki Haley, somebody who you know really is going to need to do well in Iowa and New Hampshire if they're going to emerge as the nominee, the clock's ticking on them because those voters in Iowa and New Hampshire, they want to get to know them. And so if you don't, if you don't announce until next summer, you've wasted a lot of time when you could be out there cultivating donors and and more importantly, voters in those early states. So, so I think you, every strategy is a little bit right. different. Would you say winter's too soon? Not necessarily. I mean, heck, I mean, you go back to 20, 2008, Barack Obama announced in February. I thought, you know, that made that made sense during the, during that during that presidential cycle. I think January, February, March, on the Rubio campaign, I believe we announced uh, in late March. Um, I'd have to go back and double check that, but I'm pretty sure we announced in late March. I think you want to – presidential campaigns are so complicated and really hard, and you're constantly running against the clock. So I think the earlier you announce, the more time you have to build the sort of campaign to introduce yourself to the voters. So you know, I think if you're somebody like Ron DeSantis who has so many advantages at the outset, you can wait a little bit longer. But for most of these candidates, I think winter is when you really need to start, to start turning the wheels and, 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 and getting going. Interesting, too, because uh, on the on – the, 
on the left. This Joe Biden situation is fascinating because CBS now admitting the laptop's real. That would link the president to about 50 different countries and international business deals. I'm not sure how many Democrats run cover for him. He got through the midterms already. He's 80 years old, and a lot of them want have their own ambitions. Well, that's right. And and I think, look, I, I served in the Bush administration after we lost Congress in 2006, and that was not a pleasant experience because the amount of oversight you can get from Congress can make the White House a very uncomfortable place. And clearly, I think House Republicans are, are this going to be a big priority and a big focus of House Republicans. Um, and so, you know, it, look, if, if Biden is running again and if it looks like Trump is going to be the Republican nominee again, you're going to see a United Democratic Party. But there's a lot of ifs in there, and, and I agree with you. I don't know how much political capital some Democrats are going to want to spend uh, defending Hunter Biden over the over the next couple of months. And lastly, uh, Governor Chris Christie and Governor Hogan mentioned Trump. They, he, he's chaos. He's unfit. He shouldn't be president. He can't be whatever it is. The others just talk about use code words like chaotic, uh, mm-hmm. like competent, but they're not calling out the president. Obviously, DeSantis didn't engage. What's the right strategy? Well, I think it's early, and I think to Nikki Haley's point in that clip you played, you don't re- Republicans don't like to see Republicans attack each other uh, as a general rule. And look, I, Trump is guilty of that as well. Like sometimes he attacks other Republicans, and I don't think that goes over too well with most most voters, most Republican voters. Um, and there's nothing the media loves more than Republican on Republican violence. So I think, <laughs> especially in the early days. Uh, candidates need to be very careful about attacking each other, about attacking fellow Republicans. There is going to be a time and place for that. Believe me, once we get into the meat of the campaign next fall and we start having all these debates, there's going to be a lot of back and forth. And, and you know, we'll really see, uh, you know, which candidates are able to take a punch and which candidates are able to throw a punch. But, you know, there's a time and place for that. And that, that's not for quite a while. Got it. Uh, Alex, who are you working with? Oh, I'm, I'm I'm just watching the field uh, develop right now. I don't have a favorite in this race. I, I like a lot of the candidates. I've gotten to know a lot of these people over over the last ten years. I'm excited about the bench, uh, but uh, you know, I'm 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 just a, a, a very interested observer at this point. Right, and I don't, I think I have to bring up Chris Sununu too. Extremely likable and successful, and experienced. Absolutely. I mean, our governors, and you, you look at Sununu, you look at Youngkin. Obviously, DeSantis, who we talked about, it, our our governors are really, really impressive. And it's been a while since we've had a governor as a nominee of, of a party. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if 2024 is the time for that. Go get him, Alex. Thanks so much. Founding partner of Firehouse Strategies, Alex Conan. Thank you. Thank you. You got it. one 408 I'll be back. I'll take some of your calls. Also, go over uh, the biggest upset in World Cup history. Yeah, we'll go through it. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Look out here. Shot taken. Go! Adesade just takes it through two defenders. It's poor defending from Argentina, but look at this. Gets a little bit of a space and then just drives this one to the far post. No chance for Martinez. And what a strike. Just the fingertips, but not enough. And Saudi Arabia go up 2-1 to one within this match. And it is Bedlam after this goal. 
And think about this. You beat Argentina 2-1. You go ahead with 53-minute mark, and you hold on to do it. You come back in the second half to do it. Pretty amazing. The crowd went crazy. It was the biggest upset in World Cup history. If you don't like soccer but you like sports, check this out because uh, Qatar, with all its problems, it doesn't matter. World stage, even though it's in the fall and not the summer, it doesn't matter. Forget about it for a moment. Forget about all the controversies, the pride flag and everything that's prevented from coming in. Just watch the game. And my hope is that the U.S. team finds a way to beat England or tie England and get set to uh, get a good result against Iran and then move forward. They need to move forward. I want to see those sports bars packed uh, with people, and then I want to see some of the leading, and then I want to see some of the leading players come back. I think there are 34, meaning to the MLS, 34 MLS players in the World Cup, which I think is pretty impressive. I want to end this hour with some uh, counterintuitive way with two people that are known on the Democratic causes. And here it is. I want you to hear Charmaine the God and Bill Maher, because they're saying really what we're saying. If the Republicans had nobody on the bench and they had a a president that was clearly failing in the Oval Office, mentally, physically, I would be saying the same thing as these guys. Charmaine the God, right now, weighed in on a a Fox News digital interview on the Democrats having to lean on Joe Biden Sad. Cut 12. It's sad that we're saying, you know, it's still a toss up between him, uh, President Biden. I I think that's more indicative of what, you know, Democrats aren't doing. And and for me, I just don't I don't I don't see the bench that the Democrats have. Like, I don't I personally don't see the the person that they could put up in 2024 that could like really galvanize and and energize people. I mean, the fact that Biden is still their safest bet, I, I think that's sad, too. Yeah, it is. Uh, Bill Maher weighs in on what's going on right now on the left and the right. Now, I expect him to rip the Republicans. Donald Trump is terrible. George Bush is uh, starts wars and uh, is dumb. You know, same thing that Will Farrell parodied. But I wasn't expect, and I, maybe I, I didn't give enough credit because I haven't watched in years. But I've been watching more and more, and these guys are pulling the sound bites for me. Here is an honest look at Bill Maher talking with Jonathan Haidt, an NYU social psychologist. Cut eighteen. The academy has always leaned left, and it's not necessarily a problem. The police lean right. It's not necessarily a problem. It's just people choose different careers. Maybe we should have some viewpoint diversity, not be orthodox academy, because when everyone's on the same side, someone says something crazy like, how about if we stop punishing people? And other people are afraid to object because that would seem to put you against a certain sensibility. That's right. Group Echo think. Chamber, yeah. And Group. when that happens, what we get is, is what I think right. we can call structural stupidity. Right. That is, you get... <laughs> yes. That is, you get, we you see get, it all the time. You get it's... really smart people, but you put them together, and they can't think straight, and they say stupid right. things from the left that just right. play really well on libs of TikTok and give the right, right. wing lots of ammunition. And you get onion headlines as policy. Right, and it is, and that's when things get really stupid. You just throw up your hands and say, this is driving me crazy. I'm not even going to listen to them, and it doesn't represent what Bill Maher thinks about what Democrats should be, and the crazy stuff on the right certainly doesn't uh, look uh, represent what maybe on the right would be. Adam, you're listening on Long Island. Hey, Adam. Look, Brian, uh, I just want to put my two cents in on, on DeSantis. Yes. You really got to get him out front. I mean, I'm telling you, if – I will not. I'm an independent. I will not vote for Trump again. Absolutely not. Without question. Did you before? Yes. He's dangerous. Look, I give him a shot. I thought he was going to be terrible. I thought it was going to be problems. But I said, you know what? Hillary Clinton's such a slime ball that I'll go with him. But that's what's going to happen. That's, Joe Biden's 100 years old. and They knew exactly what they were getting. And he still got in office. And people don't want him. Ron DeSantis, not only is he a leader, 
but that guy you had on just a little while ago made a great point. You know what he said? Let him rack up uh, a win in in Florida. He's going to show his leadership skills. He's a military guy. Yeah. He's an athlete. He has a lot of leadership skills, something that Trump obviously lacked. You see that in everything that he did. But what I don't understand, Brian, is why is everybody afraid, including you guys on the radio, to say something about – tell the truth. There's nothing wrong with that. What do you, what do you mean, Look. tell the truth? I think I well, have been. I mean, I'm just saying that the laptop's telling the truth. At the same time, January 6th was a mess for Trump. Taking the logs home to Mar-a-Lago, a mess for Trump. I think that's the truth, but I don't hate the guy. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.